the 20,000 student universities sitting in an amphitheater works for some students. It right. doesn't work for every student. And that's what we're offering, something unique, something different. Um, and, you know, what we need to do, Dr. Uh, Ken Elmore and I and all of the team at, at Dean is to continue to, you know, support the things that work, that differentiate ourselves, mm-hmm. and then find some new ways, sure. some new programs. Right. Steve Sherlock here for Franklin Matters, Franklin Public Radio, anywhere on the internet, WFPR.FM, and in the local Franklin Mass FM dial at 102.9. Here today, we're in studio for a special session with Dean College Chancellor Ed Augustus. Ed, welcome to the studio. Thank you, Steve. Good to be with you. It's good to have you. And for the listeners, I hope you come back. This is going to be, I think potentially a series, and we'll determine how much of a series it is. Um, but I've had a chance to meet you at certainly the town council when you and the president came in and uh, outlined what you're doing. And then I saw you at the downtown partnership meeting. But for those folks in Franklin who haven't heard, can you give us a little bit more of your background, your story, and we'll get into more of the details around what you're doing here, but sure. we can start that way. Um, well, I usually say I was born in a log cabin and go from there, but I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> we'll put that up aside. Yeah. Um, I'm born and raised in Worcester, uh, so not too far away. Um, I went to Suffolk University for my undergraduate. I went to graduate school at Johns Hopkins, um, and I've had a mostly a career in public service uh, in various roles. I started as a member of the Worcester School Committee. Uh, back at the beginning of my career as the youngest person elected to public office in, in Worcester's history. Excellent. Um, and did that for a few years and then had a chance to go to Washington, D.C. and work for President Clinton when his administration came okay. to power uh, in early 1993. I was the chief of staff to the assistant secretary of education. So I did that for about six years. And then a guy, Jim McGovern, got elected to Congress. Yes. Uh, who used to represent the town of Franklin, which is how I became connected with Dean, but more on that later. Yeah, we'll get to that point. Um, yep. Yep. And uh, w- once the Clinton administration was starting to get close to the end and Jim became uh, a member of Congress, he asked me if I'd come be his chief of staff. Uh, and so I did that on Capitol Hill, living in Washington mm-hmm. uh, for six years. And it was a great opportunity to kind of be in the everyday hustle sure. and bustle of Capitol yep. Hill yep. and you know, the federal uh, sausage-making as, as it is. <laughs> the bureaucracy, uh, the as bureaucracy it is. The bureaucracy and the rough and tumble of politics. Sure. Uh, it's gotten a lot more rough and a lot more tumble since yes. then. Yes, um, But then I felt like it, I wanted to get back into the public arena myself, not as the staff person mm-hmm. the guy behind the guy, but sure. to put myself out as a candidate. So in 2004, I ran for the Massachusetts State Senate uh, to represent the 2nd Worcester District. Um, I was elected, uh, representing half the city of Worcester and then six towns. The uh, neighbors. Upton, Shrewsbury, Grafton, Mulberry, Auburn, uh, and Leicester. Um, And had a chance to do that for a couple of terms. uh, And decided I was ready for a change. Uh, The day-to-day of being in elective office... um, kind of run its course for me 
And so I had a chance to work for the College of the Holy Cross in Worcester mm-hmm. uh, as the Director of Government and Community Relations. Oh, okay. So you've made a segue into education at that point, but still kind of still bringing your the, community, uh, community and government <coughs> background with it along the way. Yeah. That's right. So I uh, did that for a couple of years and really enjoyed it. Loved being on the college campus. Just loved the environment mm-hmm. of students and faculty and the programming and the just the opportunities yeah. to continue to learn and grow myself as an individual sure as well as looking for ways to partner with the greater Worcester community and then the city manager of Worcester at the time decided he was going to step down uh, and then I had a knock on my door from the mayor of Worcester and several community leaders saying we'd like you to be the city manager ah. uh, which I hadn't really seen coming okay. Um, but uh, I agreed to do that. Uh, first, I agreed to do it for nine months. I took a leave from Holy Cross to do that. They seemed to like the job I was doing, asked me to stay, and I stayed for almost nine years. Um, it's and, amazing how things happen like that, yeah, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny, and I tell students that all the time. It, you know, life isn't always like a straight line. No. Uh, you can't always, even though you may lay out plans for your career, the world and life doesn't always unfold that way. Mm-hmm. Sometimes opportunities present themselves. Sometimes obstacles present themselves. Sure. And really, if you look back on life, it's all how you either took advantage of those opportunities or navigated those obstacles. Agreed. Um, so I really loved being city manager. It was a great time for Worcester. We did a lot, including bringing the you know, paw socks to Worcester and turning them into the Woostocks. I was going to talk to you about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, a lot of consequential things, important uh, issues, obviously managing the New England second largest city, 205,000 people mm-hmm. through the pandemic. Sure. Uh, which was a big challenge. So I was ready to make a change again. Uh, that's a very intense 24-7 kind of job. Um, and I had been on the board of Dean College uh, for about the same time I had been city manager, maybe a little bit before I started, nine years. And, you know, there was an opportunity when Dr. Rooney announced that she was going to be stepping down. Uh, And I thought, geez, I love Dean. I've gotten to know Dean over these nine years Mm -hmm. being on the board. Um, I'm ready to make a change. Let me throw my hat in the ring. Right. I went through the process. And You know, this past May, when they got to the end of the process, the board chair uh, called myself and now the president, Mm -hmm. Ken Elmore, in and said, we basically want you both. Uh, You can have a lot of experience, 20-plus years at BU, kind of coming up through uh, a large university system, and we think that's important experience to help Dean go to the next level. And Ed, you've got, you know, a long career of public service and building partnerships and relationships with the government, with the community, with businesses. And we think that skill set would be complementary to Ken's and together mm-hmm. we think you guys would be a great team for Dean and taking us to the next level. So, right. you know, we agreed that we would kind of take on this role in this kind of different model, uh, a president and a chancellor. So sure. Schools have either a chancellor or a president, but not Often do you have both, although there are some others that Mm -hmm. have both. Um, And, you know, the beginning of July, we both came on board formally. uh, And so four months or so uh, later, we're, you know, drinking out of a fire hydrant, as they 
say. I can imagine. <laughs> trying to learn the college and, you know, all the programs and the students and the kind of traditions. And, right. You know, the rhythms of a college campus as well as learn the Franklin community. Right. Uh, and, yep. you know, the wider community and ways to kind of make connections. So, um that's that's basically my story. Mm-hmm. How I ended up here. Yeah, that's the short version, yeah. and there's multiple points within that that we can tread tap sure. on before we get into some of the other discussion items too. But um, yeah, so I, I know Worcester well to the extent that I went to Assumption oh, yeah. across yeah. the hills yeah. 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 <laughs> on the other side of the city. So I, I like that. And my daughter also went there, and she still lives in Worcester. She recruits for St. Michael's oh, as wow. a regional recruiter, okay. although today she's their acting admissions director wow. because the admissions director had left. She was kind of the person that knew what was going on. So (laughs) So she's got she's there for the year till June or so while they do their search process. Uh, She has an option to apply if she wants. But she really wants to stay in Worcester. She doesn't want to go up to Burlington. Well, it's a nice place. Yeah. You know, winter there is a little worse than down here. So, it, it, it is. <laughs> well, not worse, different. Put it that way, because yeah. if you like snow, that's a good place to go. And what's this become a real urban community? I mean, it's yeah. always been a city. But yes, it, it's got a vitality today that it didn't have maybe ten or fifteen years right. ago. Right, and I think that's become very attractive to younger people. Sure want access to breweries and arts yes. and culture and food yep. scene and yep. athletics and things like that. And mm-hmm. that's why the population is growing the way it is. There. Sure. Yeah. And then I grew up in Pawtucket on Division Street. Oops. Now you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Down the street from McCoy Stadium. Uh, so I totally understand the politics behind because having had an uncle who also was a Rhode Island state legislature and unfortunately he had passed long before that decision had come along. Um, I understand the story of Pawtucket to Worcester, but yeah, yeah, my father is probably still turning over saying, Oh, (laughs) I think it was a mistake on Rhode Island's part. And you know, I agree. But you know, McCoy stadium was the oldest AAA ballpark in the United States sure. by 48 years from Easily. the next oldest. Sure. And yeah. so it desperately needed a new facility mm-hmm. in order for it to have you know, some revenue generation that would support an owner that mm-hmm. was going to make some money, Sure, but also to have kind of the fan experiences that yeah. people have come to expect in AAA venues. And right. I had a chance when we were looking at it to travel around the country. I went to Nashville. I went to Durham. I went mm-hmm. to um, uh, Charlotte. And I looked at relatively new AAA ballparks there and saw not only some of the amenities those ballparks had, sure. but some of what had happened around them, yep. the development, the investment, the mm-hmm. tax base expansion, which was really from a, a city point of view, the goal of it all. Absolutely. It was to create not only all those people coming to Worcester, but all those people who wanted to invest, mm-hmm. plus the brand connection. The idea of Worcester's brand would be kind of connected to the Red Sox brand. Right. So if somebody's watching a game in the middle of summer, they find out who's coming up from Worcester mm-hmm. to pitch or right. who's in rehab down in Worcester. Sure. Having that name and that brand kind of broadcast on Nesson and all of the different outlets that the Red Sox nation reaches uh, was pretty important to Worcester's future. Yeah. 
Yeah. No. So congratulations on taking the move. Yeah, Rhode Island. Uh, that's their loss, but <laughs> we won't hold it against it. Yeah, no. Thank you. <laughs> By any means. No. Uh, but yeah, I do remember. And my father was a youngster, young boy, watching as they built the stadium back in the days, wow. and they would watch, and he he still would chuckle, and he's, he's the. Cement trucks would roll over, they'd pour the cement piles, they'd walk away, and then they'd come back the next day, and they were gone because it was built on swamp. They've sunk so many (laughs) cement piles in there in order to build the foundation. It just, yeah. Um, So it's old, yes. It it was a worthy place, but yeah, as at my height, too. It was always a tough place to sit. Yeah, yeah. You know, so re- kind of retrofitting that, that would have been a whole bunch of money. <laughs> they got 50 years out of it. So, they did. You know. A lot of good years. Yeah, a lot of good like years. Yeah, looking at a, a soccer facility of some kind there. That's what we've heard. So yes. hopefully yeah. they'll find a good yeah. reuse that yeah. makes sense. Down by the river on that famous S-curve with the apex, apex pyramid on one yeah. side and then the stadiums should be on the other <laughs> side on the, the riverfront. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but that's Pawtucket. We're here talking about (laughs) your Worcester to Franklin transition. So the other piece, let me go back to, um, so you were on the board, and then you ended up getting kind of the dual appointment. So from my understanding, you can elaborate. So uh, President Elmore clearly works on the education courses, uh, that side, and you work on clearly the community and kind of some of the other business side. But the two of you report to the board. That's right. So we're, we're co-equals in terms of uh, we have the same contracts. We both report directly to the board. Um, but, you know, our kind of areas of responsibility, I think, play directly to our areas of strength and Correct. our experience. Correct, right. And you still have to work with each other. And, we have, <laughs> and there's so much overlap. And it's a relatively small place, so sure. you, you can't be in silos and, right. and make it work. Right. So he has uh, got the point, if you will, on all of the academic affairs mm-hmm. uh, side of the house. So things like what courses, what majors, you know, who are the faculty members, um, and internships, student supports, all the ways that we try to help uh, support our students to be successful, all the student life stuff. Mm-hmm. So whether it be the residence halls and student activities, right. athletics, as a piece of that, of sure, yep. are under that side of the house. I have uh, the facilities and the grounds, all of the institutional advancement, which is traditionally like our alumni relations, mm-hmm. okay. our fundraising, right. uh, our marketing and communications side of the house, and our School of Continuing Studies. Okay. So we have a school, and maybe some of your listeners have uh, taken a course at Dean, or maybe you know they are a couple of courses short of getting their associate's or bachelor's degree, sure. and you want to go back, yep. Dean is a great vehicle to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have nighttime programs. Uh, we have flexible schedules where people can come back, either start toward a degree that they want to get or finish up a degree uh, that they would like to complete. Or, in some cases, we have certificate programs or um, other credentialing programs, like we offer a course in EMT. Uh, we offer a paramedic course mm-hmm. uh, that 
you can get college credits for or you can just take the course. Right. <clears throat> and with that credential, you can often get a job working on an ambulance or working in a fire department as a paramedic. Mm -hmm. So it gives you options. And, you know, that's one area we're looking to grow. Sure. Uh, and find opportunities for, you know, uh, non-degree programs where often adults want to get some kind of quick credential that allows them to get back into the workforce or mm -hmm. maybe make a career change and, and try a different career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the relationships that you've built over time, I think, is with the craft organization, yep. particularly in kind of the sports and sports management, weather training, or just sports management uh, arena. <clears throat> yeah, we have an exclusive partnership with the craft sports group, which is really the Patriots, of course, and the Revolution. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have a lot of internships, you know, summer camps, uh, branding opportunities. If you go Route 1 and near Gillette, you'll see our yep. billboard there. Yep. Uh, the performance stage at Patriot Place is the Dean College stage. Oh, Patriot okay. Yep. Yeah. So over the course of the year when different acts are performing there, you know, the ability to kind of see the Dean logo, the Dean mm -hmm. brand sure. uh, there is important. And, you know, I would say that's Something we're working on is having conversations with other partnerships like mm -hmm. that that could further help kind of get the Dean brand out there yep. and create kind of unique opportunities for our students if they come not only in the sports management and sports broadcasting but in some of the other disciplines because, you know, sports teams are, are certainly that, but they're also marketing, they're branding, they're... You, you know, still have to run a business. There's a whole operations. bunch. There's so many facets yeah. to uh, something as complex as a modern professional mm -hmm. sports team that there's a lot of opportunities that do kind of dovetail nicely with a lot of our majors. Yes. And then going back to one of the quotes that I remember or at least stuck with me when you came to the town council uh, meeting the, to introduce yourself and President Elmore, you mentioned, I think it was you, may have been President Elmar, but you acknowledged that there was kind of a perception in the community about this moat around Dean and how you were looking to build bridges. And towards that end, clearly, I think that's where some of your background clearly will help. And then you've actually started that in having the First Neighborhood Alliance Association meeting. So yeah. that's the start of the process, which has been teased, and now it's happening. Yeah, so yeah. that's all goodness. We have our next uh, meeting coming up uh, next week, our second meeting. And yeah, it. it I, I'm not saying it's a reality, but it certainly is a perception among some folks that there was this moat, mm -hmm. this sense of kind of, um, you know, the gates of the college were the college right. and then the community. And, and that never is good. It's never healthy and it's not correct. Uh, right. We want our students, because when we're selling Dean College, we're also selling Franklin, Massachusetts. Sure. We're not in a bubble. We're in a community. You're in the smack in the middle. Exactly. And <laughs> our students are going to want to go off and have a pizza uh, or, you know, explore some of the things that the town has to offer. If you have Harvest Fest, mm -hmm. Arts and Culture Fair, we want our students going there, enjoying that, and having that as part of their four-year experience at Dean because it makes them better rounded students, mm -hmm. it makes them happier students, right. it makes their parents feel happy that the yeah. students are enjoying yep. and doing things beyond just the rigors of their coursework. Um, and hopefully being 
a college town or having a college in your town is a value added. I know when I was city manager, we had eight colleges. We had nine before Becker closed. Right. Uh, nine colleges, 35,000 college students in the city of Worcester. When I would talk to a developer or somebody about investing in Worcester, that was in my first couple of sentences because employers want to be near places where they can access skilled workers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also just quality of life. People really, at all ages of their life, a lot of times as people get older, they retire, they wanna be active, they wanna keep their mind active, they wanna kinda stay engaged with the world even if they're not going to work every day. Mm -hmm. And being proximate to a college campus where you can attend a lecture for free, you can go to a performance, or you can go to a ball game. Sure, You can do things that are almost always free, they're all open to the public, uh, and they're right down the road, uh, is, I think, a real advantage. Now, what we need to do as a college is better tell those stories about the opportunities to kind of participate and plug in. And then, where possible, where can we kind of take the college off campus and bring it to the community? Mm -hmm. We're having a conversation with the Senior Center right now about maybe a Dean College lecture lecture series at the Senior Center. Correct where we would bring various faculty members maybe once a month mm-hmm. and talk about an interesting topic in, from the psychology department or the history department mm-hmm. or the art department. Right. And as a way to just engage and be part of a bigger learning community and do what we do best, which is teach mm-hmm. uh, and educate. Yeah. And, how and share. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And the other piece, uh, coming back a little bit, at least in terms of the educational environment, um, and that's one of the challenges that I'm sure you're aware of in facing, at least through my daughter's info, et cetera, and then with the closings of the various colleges, there's more of that likely. And clearly thereby becomes, well, how is, quote, little Dean going to survive going forward? So I think that's going to be, if not already, one of your significant challenges. You've got some niches already. But then are those truly going to be financially viable as a niche to enable Dean to survive going forward? Well, you're right. I mean, there's two kind of uh, pressures that have come to bear on small liberal arts colleges, particularly in the Northeast, but nationwide. Uh, One is Mm post-pandemic. There's about 1.2 million fewer students in colleges across the United States. Right. So... That's a challenge uh, for all of us. It also is a challenge that, particularly in the northeast of the country, our population is not growing as rapidly as it is in the south of the country, the western part Mm -hmm. of the country. And so, you know, not to give you a history lesson here, but obviously the United States kind of started in the northeast. Mm -hmm. And so gradually, go const- west, go west. Yeah. <laughs> and concentrations of institutions grew up where the population were, was. Correct. So the, the Harvards, does that go back to the 1600s, et cetera, all started here in New England. So we're very fortunate to have all those great colleges and universities here. But as the country is growing, it's not growing evenly. No. So college-age students and future college-age students they're not coming from New England, from the Northeast, at the same rates that they used to. Mm-hmm. And so everybody has to figure out how do we get our piece of a smaller cohort of sure. high school graduates right. every year. Yep. 
And some of that is, to your point, about how do you differentiate yourself uh, in that market? How do you say, I'm not just another cookie cutter, but I've got something unique and different? Mm -hmm. And I think Dean has a very powerful story to tell, whether it be some of the partnerships we talked about. But also we have what we call our arch learning community. We have a lot of students who might have different learning styles, mm -hmm. uh, who you know have some diagnosed learning disability. Okay, uh, they have very high IQs, great ability, right? But need some supports uh, in order to you know overcome some of the challenges that they have. They can do the work, but they need those supports, those accommodations, accommodations to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think Dean has really done an outstanding job of providing those opportunities. And that's part of what we mean when we talk about the Dean difference. difference right. It's a small classroom environment. It's a small, intimate campus. So you cannot get lost at Dean. Mm -hmm. If you come to Dean, you're your professors are going to know who you are. Right. They're going to know when you're having a good day and a bad day. Yeah. Uh, the folks who work in the dining hall are going to know that. They're going to call you by name when you walk in uh, to lunch. They're going to say, hey, Steve, what's what's up? You don't look too happy today. Mm -hmm. They engage you sure. in a way that if you're at a university with 20,000 students, you yeah, just get. Yeah, you're more of a number lost in this. And that's a differentiator. The 20,000 student universities sitting in an amphitheater works for some students, it right. doesn't work for every student. And that's what we're offering, something unique, something different. Um, and you know what we need to do, Dr. Ken Elmore and I, and all of the team at, at Dean, is to continue to you know, support the things that work, that differentiate ourselves, mm -hmm. and then find some new ways, sure. some new programs right. uh, that continue to kind of allow us to, to deliver the great educational product we do. Mm-hmm. Indeed. I think slightly picking up on that in terms of a kind of a segue, I was fortunate to attend the uh, uh, Leadership Institute talk that Dr. Steinberg, and we had a good rapport with him, and it was a lot of interesting conversation there. A lot of anecdotes for some trivia buffs as well. Yeah. Um, and then former Governor Dukakis. Um, and one key theme effectively, and it just may just be me and the nature of what I do, I'm always listening, et cetera, but that seemed to be a cool point from both of their perspectives that they touted listening as a skill to be developed. Yep. And I think having heard your story now a couple of times, I think that's one of the things that you do as well, and thereby that's helped your own development. And certainly will be called upon, as you just elucidated, you need to figure out now with Ken in terms of how are you going to manage to make Dean survivable as you know the Dean Difference Plus. Yep. I think, you know, maybe the era of social media has, you know, has lots of pros. It has some cons. Mm -hmm. And if one of the cons is it, it is a platform for people to share what they're thinking, what they're feeling in real time. But I haven't seen it as being a great tool to help people listen. Right. Um, it's getting it off your chest, reacting in real time. Mm -hmm. And again, all the kind of analytics that go behind what ads and what things you see are designed to prompt you to emotion, to action, et right. cetera. Right. And maybe it's my political background, but I, I hope I've become kind of skilled at trying to listen. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm trying to find common ground. Yes. I'm trying to find some place that even if you and I were you know, debating a bill, 
I'm trying to find out where do we agree? What's that Venn diagram mm -hmm. where we overlap? And how do I f hone in there and then build out from there? Right. Uh, or do you have a need and I have a need? And how do we kind of help solve each right. other's needs? Yeah. Agree on an endpoint and then <coughs> try and figure out how we're going to get there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, and, you know, it's interesting. I think it's a astute observation on your part that you have two people phenomenally successful, Dr. Steinberg, 42 years in professional baseball, all sorts of teams. And um, trained as a dentist, but he's never been. Trained as a dentist. Who, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was his I'm plan sure B. I him to take a tooth out for me, but I would definitely get baseball <laughs> advice from him. Um, and Governor Dukakis, who obviously only three-time uh, governor in modern Massachusetts history sure. and almost made it to the presidency. Yeah. Um, you know, how important a tool that was for their career development. And that's really why we do the Dean Leadership Institute, mm -hmm. because we're trying to expose our students, not just to interesting people, but our students are fascinated. And I think young people in general are fascinated to, how do you get to be where you are? Yeah. Like, yeah. I want to be a sports broadcaster. I want to be a, you know, political leader. I want to be a business person. I want to be whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's not always clear how, how you get there. And, and again, going back to what I said earlier, it's, I think, instructive and, and reassuring that it's not always a straight line. No. Like, you think you're going to be a dentist, but you ended up with an internship at, at, uh, with the Baltimore Orioles as a young person, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden your life changed. Right. Uh, and I think those are cool opportunities for us to share with our students so they, you know, feel excited and empowered and, and kind of help them diagram, hey, I, I might be able to get there or there may be paths that I hadn't even anticipated and I should be open to. Yeah, and I think even coming, looking back in terms of my own development, I certainly, I went to school, English major, education minor, to teach. And yet the teaching opportunities were not available full-time at the time. I subbed successfully for six years. I coached track and cross country with the high school as an assistant for six years. But then when I met the person who was going to be my wife, and she was teaching son, uh, Catholic school, and I was making more as a sub part-time than she was, it was like, um, let's yeah. see, see if we can do something different. So I switched into the corporate world, and I've never really regretted it. But I've been teaching in a different way, yep. right? And along one of our other cultural benefits that's not quite open yet, but once the shows start coming, the Circle of Friends Theater, uh, Circle of Friends Coffee House, excuse me, um, bring in great folk talent. Um, and there was one songwriter, name escapes me at the moment, but he had a lyric in that mathematically there's some high level math behind it. But apparently the shortest distance between two points is a crooked line. <laughs> <laughs> and mathematically they can prove it. So it works in the lyric, yeah, right? Yeah. And then there is the science behind it. But it gets back to your discussion. That, I mean, we both started out to do something and twists and turns along the way. Yeah. We're now where we are yeah. and who knows where we're going to go. <laughs> exactly. That's the kind of, that, to me, that's the joy of life. It's the fascinating part of life. Uh, it's, you know, some people may say, all right, I, I, I don't want to, I want to be sure. I mm -hmm. want to know this stuff. The world's changed from when my parents right. were in the work world. Sure. And, you know, they work one place for 40 years, got a gold watch and, sure. a, and a pension at the end of it. Yep. Uh, 
those don't exist. Those days anymore. are done. Yeah. The average kid who gets out of school is going to have seven or eight different jobs in their lifetime. Yeah. So what they need to do is, you know, be very much lifelong learners because there are yep. going to be skills that are going to be demanded of them mm-hmm. that we couldn't even prepare them for. Right. That are going to come along well, 10 or 15 years. The degrees years that some places are giving today, the courses were not even conceived of when you and I were going to right, school. Right. And never yeah. mind the technology change that's taken place since then and continuing to take place. Which is why I really still make the case. And when we had our investiture ceremony recently, I really tried to make the case for the relevance of a liberal arts education. Yes. Yep. I still believe that is so crucial. We're not just putting out widgets. Mm-hmm. We're putting out citizens. We're putting out people. Yes, you may be a business person. You may be a, an athlete or you know, a, a biologist. Um, but you're also probably going to be a mom or dad. Mm-hmm. You're going to be a neighbor. You're going to be a voter and a citizen. Maybe mm-hmm. you're going to be a, a town council member or a board of health member. And we need to give you a well-rounded understanding of not only what to do, but how to be. Mm-hmm. Not telling you how to be, but being a well-rounded person, having values, having ethics. That's part of what a liberal arts, how to live your life mm-hmm. in a way that is not only important and rewarding to you, but to the world around you. Right. Well said. Uh, I think given that the capability, and I think even when Dr. Steinberg had his three or four points you know, communication, I think, and uh, even just writing Writing. and vocabulary was, I think he termed the elevator to success, right? Because it was, uh, he had that and then he recognized others that he was hiring. If they had that, okay, you can go. It it just, writing, of course, is communication. It's just a different form. Different form, yep. We've gotten, I think, sloppy in recent years with texting Mm -hmm. Emails were not as precise. We've too many shortcuts. Spell checks. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, LOLs and all these mm-hmm. other things. And but the precision of writing, and, and by precision I mean the ability to succinctly communicate a thought, an idea, mm-hmm. is so critical. You know, in almost whatever field you're in, you're a doctor. You're writing on a patient's chart. Precision matters, right? Mm. It's life or death. Absolutely. Uh, You know, you're a therapist. You're taking notes. You're a counselor helping somebody deal with substance abuse. Your ability to communicate, you know, matters not only to your career but to your patient's Mm. success. So writing, I think, is is been undervalued uh, in recent years, but it's something that I thought it was great to hear from Dr. Charles that even in the sports world, you may say, what writing? <laughs> writing? No, I'm dealing with <laughs> athletes and broadcasting and crowds and all of that. Yeah. No, there's contracts, there's advertising, there's communications with fans and ticket holders and season ticket holders and all of that. And there's so many, and there's memos and communications within. And mm-hmm. you know, it also kind of maybe is a subliminal message about like this person pays attention to detail. This person, mm-hmm. you know, cares about the quality of their work. They're not just slapdash. Yeah, but when, they're really yeah. 
What is what is the brand you want to bring to the table on a daily basis? Yep. Right? Are you well dressed for whatever the occasion is? And the you don't it doesn't have to be the suit and tie and buttoned up all the time. Yep. But if you're casual one day and then buttoned up the next and then people can recognize that, oh, you understand now this is a formal occasion versus this is a casual occasion, so you can do the floppy shops and whatever. Yep. 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 It's I, I tell students too, it's like be jealous of your reputation in all of its forms because mm. it will arrive way before you do in right. any room. So if you have a reputation because you had an internship that, boy, you were a hard worker, you were dependable, you showed up on time, you completed every task well done, you were a self-starter, uh, you were hungry to learn and do more, mm-hmm. that will open all sorts of doors sure. that, you know, somebody who doesn't have all of those kind of traits so you know it's important that you really think about actions or inactions and what that's communicating to to the wider world yeah well thank you for taking time to elaborate on your story to talk about the dean structure i think that's been helpful for people to understand well paul arooney left and now there's two people what are they doing (laughs) um and we got into kind of the dean difference and i think even the listening and there may be other avenues that we can talk to and maybe those are better for one of our future discussions sure no look forward to it indeed so again thank you for taking time to come to the studio today and i appreciate it and hopefully the listeners you've appreciated it as well if you've got questions uh, i'll include contact info for the chancellor contact info for me is there um, and a quick reminder, we do this because Franklin matters. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.